Thanks for tapping into The Shift is Real, a podcast where we have casual conversations about growth, discuss stories of personal transformation, and share moments of insight. I'm your host, Tiffany Wright. I'm so grateful to have you on this journey and excited to talk about these shifts. So let's get into it, y'all. Please be advised, explicit language may be used. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tapping into another episode of The Shift is Real. I'm your host, Tiffany Wright. And as always, I'm super grateful to have you in this space so we can talk about these shifts and transformations. This is the third episode of the self-love series focused on my book, The Five Commandments of Self-Love. I'd love to know how y'all are feeling around it. I've definitely got some messages, which I think is cool. If you haven't sent a message or if you haven't listened to the past two episodes, I definitely want to encourage you to. So I'm going to keep it going. Today, I'm still in the intro. So if you don't know the, not the intro, but like the first portion of the book is really long because I'm really setting the stage. Okay. So if you have not grabbed your copy of the five commandments of self-love, why don't you, why don't you just pause you know, or open up another window, open up Amazon, type in the five commandments of self-love. You can get you Kindle version or the book, paperback book version, you know, go ahead and add to cart and, you know, make sure you get that delivery set up. Or, you know, you can just get it on Kindle right now and you can be reading right along with me. Either or. If neither of those fit the current circumstances, or if you already got the book, you know, that's cool too. All right. So if you have the book, I want to encourage you to go to page 61. All right. We're going through the section finding coping mechanisms. Okay. So as I've mentioned, I wrote the five commandments of self-love over a period of time, not only for myself, but for other individuals who are on a journey to wanting to really explore what it means to have a connection with themselves, practice self-love, have a experience of reverence and respect and honor and learn how to nurture and pour into and accept self. Part of that is about how you handle the way that life throws curveballs out at you, okay? Um, how do you deal with stress, your coping mechanisms? Because anything that you do, you know, to soothe yourself, take care of yourself, it is a reflection of also the way that you connect with yourself and learn how to maneuver through life and accept its challenges as well as how those challenges impact you. So throughout the book, I definitely have a lot of psychological concepts that are interwoven into the content, which is really important to me as a clinician. It's not a self-help book to just 
talk about self-love or personal development just for the sake of it. But I like bringing in the psychological concepts because I feel like it gives more, I don't know, not necessarily validity, but it just gives greater context into how humans behave, why they do things that they do, and why it takes work to unlearn some things and why it takes work to create a new way of being, okay? So let's get into this, page 61, finding coping mechanisms. Let's take a deep breath. <sighs> All right. What do you do when you feel stressed, depressed, angry, irritated, sad, anxious, envious, jealous, or merely out of control? What activities do you find yourself engaging in? Do you seek to numb yourself? Do you try to detach and distance yourself from your emotional experience? How do you deal with life? The answer to these questions can provide insight into your relationship with yourself. Whatever you do in response to stress or events that challenge imbalance, we call it a coping mechanism. Your ability to use the healthy and safe mechanisms as opposed to maladaptive and unsafe mechanisms is what's referred to as coping skills. Okay. In this section, I will explore coping mechanisms in response to any type of stressor, but we'll focus on those that are used in trauma responses. Listen, as a licensed clinical social worker, even before being a licensed clinical social worker, I am all about being trauma-informed. One, because it's definitely a core part of my journey um, as a human being, as someone experiencing healing, as someone who is a healer. So oftentimes when I'm talking to somebody, I'm talking to the person who has survived traumas. Everybody ain't survived traumas, okay? One. Two, um, part of trauma is how you see something, right? Um, how your brain interprets a, a, a situation, event, circumstance, etc. Um, but sometimes there are things that are events that a mental health professional would consider traumatic or a medical professional would consider traumatic that an individual would not because maybe to them it's normalized, right? Um, a person growing up in a neighborhood of violence would not necessarily consider that traumatizing if they're used to violence being around them. Um, but a medical professional knows that that even if it's normal in that setting, it's not a circumstance that normally be ideal for the brain to be exposed to, okay? Stressors are stimuli that technically cause your cortisol levels to rise. Cortisol is one of the many hormones that our body produces, and its production typically occurs when our senses connect to some sense of danger, threat, or discomfort. Biologically, we are built to manage and respond to major stressors such as childbirth, violence, overt anger, and predators. As the human experience has evolved, so has the type of stressors that exist. 
Most of us no longer live in nomadic hunter-gatherer societies. So we're not looking out for external threats like animals or having a challenge for other humans for survival physically, at least not like our ancient ancestors. Unfortunately, there are many threats that people face every day. There are people living in circumstances where they are challenging other humans for their livelihood. We have stressors due to technology, transportation, political systems, finances, social injustices, interpersonal dynamics, and so much more. The reality is that stressors happen. We experience stress even when we don't feel stress. How we interact with the stressors is important when it comes to our overall wellness, but also our relationship to ourselves. When it comes to our relationship to ourselves, self-love and coping mechanisms, it's important to be mindful of any activities that allow you to honor yourself and where you're at, while also being mindful of staying distant from anything that would compromise your ability to honor yourself. There are coping mechanisms that can be considered healthy and self-honoring, and others that can be unhealthy and maladaptive. There are types of coping mechanisms that are overt and others that are subtle. There are mechanisms that are behaviors which are based on activities and others based in response. At the heart of the matter, coping is about regulating the emotional experience. When we experience a stressor, it elicits an emotional response, which we naturally seek to manage, deal with, or repress. Emotions like shame, guilt, anger, sadness, and loneliness can often lead us to numbing behaviors. People seek comfort, validation, or release in something that minimizes their emotional experience. The most popular mechanisms are food, whether restricting, binging, or overeating, chemical substances, um, like those that might be defined as drugs, alcohol, sex or meaningless romantic relationships, and impulsive spending. I also want to add um, any binging activities, um, binging content activities like social media or, you know, shows, streaming shows, movies, etc., these activities are not unhealthy in and of, and of themselves. What makes them unhealthy is the intention that the user has in using them. If they are intended to help you disconnect with yourself or reality, they may be a problem. There is no true freedom in running away or hiding from the truth. The more you hide, the more you get comfortable with disconnection from self, which in turn leads to these behaviors having control over you to the point of even developing an addiction and other mental illness. Your ability to live without these activities have become impaired the more reliable you are on them. More subtle mechanisms include behaviors like self-sabotage, silencing, silencing yourself, pushing away others emotionally, withdrawing from others, isolation, passive-aggressive communication, or criticizing, demeaning, belittling others. It is common that when we become dysregulated emotionally, it impacts how we communicate and interact with others. These behaviors erode, poison, and strain our relationships. So let's think about this for a moment, okay? Part of self-love is definitely learning how to accept yourself. If you're experiencing really challenging emotions and you're not acknowledging them, you're not allowing yourself to feel them because you're avoiding them, you're distracting yourself, you are engaging in some of these activities, 
then it's really hard for you to connect with yourself. And it's really hard for you to accept the reality of what's going on in your life and accept what's going on. Okay. Again, these, you know, go to coping tools like the substance use and food and the sex and the spending and the binge watching content. They're not bad, quote unquote, in and of themselves, right? But if you do not take the time to connect to what you're going through, how can you grow? How can you learn? How can you understand yourself? How can you even work on releasing what's going to be held in your body? If you just turn a blind eye, you're ignoring yourself. You're you're isolating your consciousness from like the mental and spiritual experience you're having. And that's not fair. That's why I believe that your coping mechanisms and self-love are connected. Also, anything past the point of moderation can be really harmful to us. Anything that's excessive can be really harmful to us. So it's it's also important to just be mindful of that. Now, I also listed some subtle behaviors that can be coping mechanisms like self-sabotage, silencing yourself, pushing away others emotionally, withdrawing from others, isolation, passive aggressive communication, or criticizing, demeaning, and belittling others. You know, when you're having a conversation with somebody or interaction and you're like, damn, like, don't put that bullshit on me. They ain't got nothing to do with me. That's what I'm talking about. People will have their own emotions, own challenges, own frustration, not acknowledge, accept, or process them for themselves. All the while, it impacts how they interact with other people. Other people. So it's so important for us to learn how to acknowledge what's going on within us so that we can be self-aware that we're not bleeding on other people. Because there's some people you can bleed on and it may not matter, but there could be some situations and some people that you bleed on and you totally change the whole trajectory of the relationship. Whether you are someone who learns on, excuse me, whether you are someone who leans on overt behaviors or more subtle, it's always important to explore the psychological benefit you're getting. All behaviors, this is a side note, all behaviors serve a function, serve a purpose. Sometimes people are like, well, why did I do that? Well, there was definitely a reason, okay? And taking the time to understand the reason is important. Consider if you engage in behaviors that put you in harm's way. Separate you from your support system or even cause you to lose contact from who you are. How can you honor yourself when there are distractions keeping you from being in alignment with who you really are? Getting a hold on coping mechanisms can get even more complicated for those who are trauma survivors. Beyond normal stressors, trauma survivors are constantly finding ways to ensure comfort, safety, and security. As much as the day-to-day stressors can be harmful to our well-being, the experience of trauma has an extra layer of complexity.
There are uncontrollable life experiences that compromise our sense of safety, wholeness, and ability to cope with our circumstances. Some events and periods in our life can be so damaging that they leave psychological footprints on our functioning. The more self-aware we become, we get to step into the awareness of our fears, limiting beliefs, unhelping coping mechanisms, and feelings of void. When we experience what is known as trauma, the molecular functioning of our brain changes in addition to the physiological responses we experience to stressors. Trauma can occur as a one-time event, a series of events, or over the course of time. When one, experience, when one experiences multiple traumas over a major period, this is known as complex trauma. The traumas can be related, such as someone who has experienced child abuse, as well as abuse in subsequent romantic relationships, or the traumas can be unrelated. Those who experience what is known as complex trauma often suffer from psychological problems such as low esteem, self-hatred, substance abuse, depression, anxiety, self-destructive and risk-taking behaviors, re-victimization, problems with interpersonal and intimate relationships, medical illnesses, and despair. In 1999, the Center for Disease and Control and Kaiser published results from a questionnaire-based study conducted randomly with Kaiser patients. The study looked at the impact of what we call adverse childhood experiences, also known as ACEs, A-C-E-S. The study posed yes or no questions to questionnaire takers exploring the following experiences before the age of 18. Physical neglect, emotional neglect, parental separation or divorce, incarceration of someone in the home, mental illness, substance abuse, mother treated violently, sexual abuse, physical abuse, and emotional abuse. Abuse could be witnessed or directly experienced. And what they found was of the 17,000 participants, the more ACEs someone had, the higher their likelihood of risky behaviors, chronic illnesses, mental illness, unwanted pregnancies, infectious diseases, limited economic and vocational opportunities, and physical injury. The experience of trauma leads us to experience intense levels of dysregulation, thus leading us to the environment, relationships, and circumstances that temporarily relieve the pain but have long-term impact. The experience of trauma causes our bodies to become imbalanced and we engage in behaviors oftentimes that may exacerbate the problems even more. Learning to honor where you are, learning to honor who you are, learning to learning that it's essential to get what you need is instrumental. Um, but taking the necessary action actually honors yourself, your mind, your body, and your spirit leaves you empowered. So let's take a break. Take a couple of deep breaths. I know that that was a lot of information. This is what I want you to know, that if you are a trauma survivor, your brain, your body, it functions in a very unique way. And you are operating constantly from a place of survival and safety. So pretty much anything that you do is going to either allow you to feel safe um, and allow you to, to feel like you are surviving. Now, how does that relate to risky behavior? Well, you know, 
If your trauma is definitely associated with risky behavior, that feels comfortable for your brain. That feels comfortable for your body, which means that that feels familiar and safe. Familiarity feels safe. It doesn't matter if the familiarity is what a lot of people like to call toxic nowadays, but familiarity feels safe. So being in a place physically where everything is on 10, everything is on edge, you might be really drawn to chaos. You might be really drawn to danger. You might be um, really drawn to intense activities. Learning to release, learning to calm, learning to ground. It doesn't allow your body to be as hypervigilant and on edge as you're used to. So that's why that can feel really uncomfortable. Instead of dealing with the fear, dealing with the anxiety, dealing with the confusion, dealing with the sadness, you run to things that just temporarily disconnect you. Part of it is, well, I'm just trying to survive and I don't really want to deal with this sadness. I don't really want to deal with this guilt. I don't really want to deal with this frustration. Because if I do, it might take me over the edge and make me unsafe. So that's part of that. Um, it, it can also be a thing of your body may like the misery and you don't even realize it. Now, consciously, you don't want to be sad or angry or feel depressed or guilty are shameful. However, something about trauma creates this experience of the world against us. And, and that can be a very key narrative in our lives. Like our identity can be driven by the fact that it's us against the world because the world wants to harm us or other people want to harm us. So sometimes acknowledging and letting go emotions doesn't allow you to sit in those emotions. It really holds you accountable to your own process and challenges you to release them. And it's a thing that your body can just be addicted to the misery and not really want to release it. So I, I wanted to give that context for um, those who are listening who might be trauma survivors. It is in our self-awareness that we hold power. Once we can recognize the need to change, the need to improve, or the need to elevate ourselves, it is only then can we assess where we are and begin to make plans to move forward. In self-love, it's easy to acknowledge what strength we have, but it's not as always as easy to acknowledge our pain, our incompleteness, and where it comes from. If you are a survivor of any kind of trauma, but especially complex, you must understand that how you choose to cope with life or what patterns you develop to cope with life is really important for you to pay attention to. 
Does your life, does your coping mechanisms make you susceptible to more traumas? Do your coping mechanisms symbolize or draw a parallel to trauma that you have previously experienced? Sometimes we respond to life in a very reactionary manner. We respond in a way that is not intentional and comes from a place of unconsciousness. We react from a survival instinct. We react from a place of fear. We react from a place of deficit. We react from a place of compromise, safety, and groundedness because of our experience with trauma. Often when individuals lack the tenacity to bark on a self-love journey or to put forth the efforts in self-care or self-acceptance, it's not because they are lazy or disinterested. It's often because their internal resources for resilience and self-nurturing have been compromised because of their life experiences, and they may not feel the emotional or mental capacity to shift their thoughts and behaviors. When a compromised sense of safety is your normal, it's difficult to connect to an experience in which you're not required to be in control or in a fight, flight, or freeze mode. When your main narrative is, I'm not safe, or everything is not okay, or I must stay aware, or even life is too intense, I can't stand this. The consideration of an opposite experience can be difficult to grasp. I mean, listen, people talk about misery loves company. And I think it's deeper than that. I think it's important to know that your brain is doing a whole lot of shit you're not aware of. Like, I'm just I'm just going to keep it 100 with you. It can feel uncomfortable for people to practice stillness. It can feel uncomfortable for people to meditate. Let me tell you, I've had experiences with clients where they were so disconnected from themselves that learning how to practice stillness and connect to their body temporarily intensified their anxiety and depression because it's like oh my gosh i have to feel my feelings that is so uncomfortable for people not only to feel their feelings but feel what's going on in their body because I like to do a lot of work that in incorporates the understanding of scanning your body and learning how to connect to the sensations in your body. You may never pay attention to what happens when you get irritated or frustrated or angry. You may never pay attention to what happens when you see your favorite food. <laughs> but I want to encourage you to... Practice a sense of mindfulness when you are connecting to emotions because you will see that there is a whole world going on inside your body, right? It could be your chest tightening or opening or your eyes dilating. I mean, you may not see that if you're not looking in your face, right? It could be your, your cheeks feeling flush, you having tightness around your jaw. It could be you paying attention to the fact that you're bouncing up and down and, you know, uh, poking at your, your fingers or you got goosebumps, you, you feel cold, you feel warm, um, you're having a little throbbing headache in your temples. Like it's all kinds of stuff that comes up 
when you are having an emotional reaction. And it's important to connect to what's going on in your body. Also, because the more that you connect to what's going on in your body, sometimes you can go the other route and maybe not necessarily know the emotion that's coming up, but you know these physical symptoms and you know that these physical symptoms can also relate to a particular experience. So either way, they're giving you information, okay? It's important to know that it can be hard for trauma survivors to develop healthy tools in dealing with their trauma. Because again, you're, you're operating from a place of safety and survival. So you might run from a lot. You might avoid a lot. You might deflect from a lot. You may have challenges owning a lot and just connecting, right? So you get to rewrite your narrative of your life. You get to rewrite the stories that you have around trauma and who you are in relation to the world, because oftentimes trauma will leave you depleted. On the surface, you're finding it to be imposter syndrome, right? But beneath the surface, it's you don't feel good enough because a system has done a great job of consistently reiterating in so many different ways that you will never be compensated in a way that you're valued. You will never be acknowledged in the way that you deserve to be acknowledged. You will consistently be demeaned. You will consistently be belittled. But the ideas and aesthetics and representation of who you are is constantly manipulated and duplicated just as long as you're not connected to the imagery. But all the while, you're like, oh, I have imposter syndrome. Now, I'm not poking fun at imposter syndrome, but I think that there are so many more layers to, again, why we do what we do, why we don't do what we don't do, why we avoid certain things, why we embrace certain things, okay? Let's take a deep breath. Once you realize that your normalized experience of feeling unsafe, incomplete, detached, hopeless, or depressed is is your constant state, then it's up to you to search for and gather the tools that you need to help you heal from your wounds. Gather what you need to help you release the negative thoughts and perspectives about yourself and or to help you release the negative narratives that you had regarding your place, importance, and impact in this world. This process will take time. Listen, are you listening? This process will take time. I be so like, grateful yet irritated when I see these posts that are like heal, period. It is ongoing. Healing emotionally is not the same as healing physically. See, when you scratch or scrape something, you know that yes, there's a process, but there are indicators that let you know the healing process is complete. Like that scab forming 
then peeling off, and then your skin growing back. Once your skin is back completely, you know that you're completely healed. But emotional healing does not look like physical healing, which means that there's no fucking period. There, I, I'm going to, yes, I'm dropping the F word, okay, because I need you to understand There's no fucking period when it comes to healing. You know why? Because it's ongoing. You know why? Because you are constantly learning yourself. You know why? Because you're constantly going through experiences that are going to poke at the wound. You're constantly going through relationships that might poke at the wound. So when you're constantly irritating a wound, it's going to be fucking hard for it to heal. Matter of fact, it won't fucking heal. It won't. Okay. Now it doesn't mean that certain aspects of you won't shift or won't transform. Right. But I just need you to understand that something may not necessarily completely go away. You having this thought, belief, narrative that you are not enough, it might go away 90.9999999%. And then you randomly have thoughts about it from time to time. Because as much work that you've done around confidence, you're still fucking on social media. And you're still seeing ads that say, hey, your life will be better and more fulfilled if you bought this, if you did this to your body, if you wore this, if you lived this lifestyle, if you was with this kind of person. Fucking advertisements are always trying to sell you a better life. That's what they're all about, right? And as long as you constantly see someone serving options for something different or quote unquote better, you might constantly have thoughts or emotions that say, well, I'm not good enough or what I experience is not good enough. So that is... It is one reason to understand why healing does not have it a period. It's more like an ellipsis, you know, those three dots, okay? It takes time to realize that you do matter and that you do belong to something bigger than yourself. It takes time to realize that you can learn how to honor yourself even though people have been dishonoring you all of your life. It takes time for you to realize that the thoughts and feelings that you have of you not being enough has nothing to do with you, but has been shaped by the projection of other individuals who have low esteem, who do not honor themselves, who do not love themselves, and who have probably experienced trauma in their own life. Don't rely on unhealthy coping mechanisms to comfort you. Learn to accept your truths and develop positive coping skills to help you nurture love and empower yourself. Oh my gosh, can we take a deep breath? You want me to fucking read it again? I'm gonna fucking read that again because that shit is also for me always and forever. You ready? I'm gonna read it again. Take a deep breath. It takes time for you to realize that the thoughts and feelings that you have of you not being enough has nothing to do with you, but has been shaped by the projection of other individuals who have low esteem, who do not honor themselves, who do not love themselves, and who have probably experienced trauma in their own life. Don't rely on unhealthy coping mechanisms to comfort you. Learn to accept your truths and develop coping skills to help you nurture, love, and empower yourself. 
Take some deep breaths, y'all. Now, this is more of a psychological conceptual section. But my spirit was drawn to share it with you because I think that we own the weight that other people have like put on us. And part of the weight that other people have put on us is their own ideas of what they feel we should be like and what life should be like. And it's also their own projection of their own shit. Like we project our shit onto other people. And I think that that's important to acknowledge and accept. And other people fucking project their shit onto us all the time. And it's so easy to take on those projections by questioning ourselves, by doubting ourselves, by believing that they were right and we're wrong. You know, one time I had somebody tell me like, oh, you don't know how to be a woman. I was like, what does that mean? Tell me I didn't know how to be a woman because not only did I like speak too much, but I was just so overly opinionated and, you know, I didn't know how to be quiet. Well, what I know is that I have a mouth and a tongue and um, I am biologically wired in a way that allows me to use language. So nothing about my setup has given me any indicator that I'm not supposed to talk or, you know, that I'm not supposed to talk so much, quote unquote. I've had someone tell me, <laughs> I've had someone tell me that um, I'm not a superstar and who I am online is not who I am in real life. And I thought that that was really interesting um, because I do see myself as a superstar and not from a place of fame, but from a place of personal evolution. And me and this individual was talking about like just people skills right? They were not happy with how I responded to them about something and, you know, try to throw in my face the fact that I'm a therapist and that I do and say stuff that isn't aligned with um, what they feel like my, my uh, reaction or response to them was. And what I know is that, um, I'm hella evolved. <laughs> like, can't nobody not tell me that. Like, I know that. I know from whence, uh, where I came from, and I know where I am at now. I know in general, based off of, it could be regionally, it could be based off of work experience. I know how many challenges the average person has when it comes to communication and relationships and, like, I don't necessarily have those 
completely because I've done a lot of work and I'm very self-aware. And yes, I have blind spots, but I'm very self-aware. You know, so for me, I am a fucking superstar because I know my growth. And I think either of those circumstances, I could have really, really held on and internalized what the feedback was and pivoted how I showed up in the world. It could have brought about shame. It could have brought about embarrassment. It could have brought about sadness. And I could have went to go do things that aren't healthy, you know. Um, I could have even turned to behaviors that would allow those people to be more satisfied with how I speak or show up or you know, relationship with them. And I I mentioned the notion that knowing who you are or being able to connect to your feelings is really empowering because even in those moments, um, in certain emotions coming up, I was able to process them and take a step back and be like, okay, why are these emotions coming up? What what does this mean in terms of the emotions? Um, how do I really feel about these statements that these people made? What does it bring up for me? Um, whether it's insecurity, a sensitivity, or even a strength, you know, really processing that and being able to find something that allowed me to release whatever emotion that was coming up, it's really important, you know, instead of being sad or hurt or angry at what they're saying and then go do something that might be harmful to myself, right? So in real time, this is why coping mechanisms and being in tune to them is important, but it's also important to understand why you're feeling what you're feeling, where it's coming from, how it's impacting you, what narratives came from it, um, you know, and like how you want to release it and, and, and respond to it. All of this, all of this introspection, all of this reflection, all of this acknowledgement, it allows you to love on yourself, to nurture yourself, to have clarity as to what you need, um, have clarity as to um, who you are, like the complexity of you, the gray, the in-between, the shadows, all of that stuff, because life is not black and white. People are not black and white. We tend to think in the extremes of black and white, but shit is most of the time, oftentimes, more heavier, more gray, um, more complex than it seems. And so are you. Okay. So let's take a couple deep breaths, y'all. That's it. That's it for today. <laughs> Make sure that you, again, grab a copy, Five Commandments of Self-Love. If you love this episode, like, go ahead and pass it on to somebody. I would really, really appreciate that. I really, really love that. Um, we're getting closer, one week closer to my giveaway. So make sure that you are following me at 
Tiff Inspires on Instagram. If you're on there, that's pretty much all I'm on. Um, I'm on TikTok as well, um, and it's Tiff Inspires 7, okay? So until next time, y'all. Well, y'all, that's the end of today's episode. I hope that you got something from it. Thank you so much for your support. Please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, share this with a friend. I am accessible via my website, www.livethebelife.com. You can feel free to shoot me an email. If you want to subscribe to my newsletter, I send out newsletters once or twice a month. I'm on Instagram and Twitter handle at the T-H-E underscore B-E underscore life. Also have a Facebook page. All my products are available online on Amazon, but they're also listed on my website. Hope that you move forward in your day, in your week, feeling connected to yourself and grounded. Hope that you just stay aware of the shifts that are going on within and around you because they're always happening. Don't forget, seek to shift, seek to grow, seek to be you. Until next time, be well.